All right. Who here trusts me? Raise your hand. Uh, raise them higher. <laughs> okay. It's good to know.
going? I think you're the right person for this. <laughs> this last box is for you. Okay. Okay. You ready? Can I get a drum roll? Delicious water, and hardly ever enjoyed water more in my life. <laughs> Caterpillars? That's a little sus. That's weird, Don. That's weird. <clears throat> so, sometimes... Trusting and following people can be hard. Sometimes it leads to eating crickets at church, Stacy. I'm sorry, but I thought you were the right person for this. Usually trusting people is a lot harder, actually, than reaching into a box when you don't know what's in there or eating a cricket. Or certainly it's harder, harder than winning $5, right, Grace? But we also recognize that in order... To live 
and survive, we have to rely on others at some point, right? We have to trust and put a little faith in something. But who we decide to rely on changes the outcome significantly. This morning, we're going to continue our series, Live Full and Die Empty, where we're going to be looking at a very special man who holds a very special place in Scripture. A man who was marked by trust and obedience, but maybe we don't think about him as often as others. So we're going to see how this trust and following God led him to great places. If you would, please turn with me to Numbers chapter 13, where we're going to start our conversation today. To get a full understanding of this account and what's going on here in Numbers, we need to back up a little bit. There is a group of people called the Israelites. They're God's chosen people. They ended up in Egypt under the yoke of slavery for a few hundred years. But God made promises to Abraham, who started this all, and to his descendants. The Israelites are Abraham's descendants. He remembered these promises, and eventually he freed his people from Egypt. He led them back in towards the promised land that he promised to Abraham. And the land, the promised land that's referred to in the Exodus story, is here. You can see it. It's in modern-day Israel. This is what we would call the promised land. Section. So this is the Mediterranean Sea. This is the promised land. Here's Egypt. So God took the Israelites out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and then up into the promised land. Where we find our people today is here in Kadesh Barnea. Right here, at the southern part of the promised land. And it's not actually a part of the promised land. It's on the border of what God was intending to give them. So this is where we find ourselves. They've, the people of Israel are very close to getting the promise that God has, has put before them. And so they're on the border, and God tells them to send out a scouting party to go and check out the promised land to see what's going on. Look at verse 17 with me, Numbers chapter 13. When Moses sent out the spies to the land of Canaan, that's also what the promised land was called, he said to them, go up here into the Negev, Then go into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and how is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are the people in open camps or in fortifications? And how is the land? Is it productive or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? And show yourselves courageous and get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season for the first ripe grapes. So I think what God was doing here when he instructed the Israelites to go into the land, he was trying to get his people, I think, excited about the future home that he had for them, to let them see with their own eyes the abundance and the fruitfulness of what was ahead of them. Because this was a really fruitful land. There were vineyards and olive trees that produced fruit and delicious things and figs and dates. It was a very productive land. It still is a very productive land. And to understand um, what they were doing, you can imagine that you're walking through the wilderness. God says, hey, we have this promised land for you. But you get there and you're like, it still kind of looks like a desert. But he's like, no. I want you to send 12 trustworthy men, one from each tribe, and so they can come back and give you an account of what is ahead. 
And Moses wants to know also, what are we, what are we fighting? What are we going into? What's going to happen? So, as you can guess, the spies do go into the land. They check out a few different places. All together, they're gone for 40 days. So 12 spies go in, they're gone for 40 days. And during this time, they see a really good portion of the land that God has promised. They do a pretty good tour. And when the men get back, they give a less than glowing report to the people of Israel. Look at verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they went out and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, which is what I just pointed out to you. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So they reported and said to them, We came into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit, which is very impressive. It's supposed to be very heavy, a huge bunch of grapes. Nevertheless, so they're like, yeah, it is a good land. But the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And indeed, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people. Caleb is one of the spies who went. And then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will certainly prevail over it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people because they are too strong for us. So they brought a bad report of the land, which they had spied out to the sons of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are people of great stature. We also saw the Nephilim there. The sons of Anak are a part of the Nephilim. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So what they said, and in case you're interested, the Nephilim are these descendants from angels and men happened in the time of Noah and apparently happened again after the flood. So they're against God's wills. And they live in this land. You notice uh, Goliath, that name. He was a part of this family down the line. And so they say, these, these people are giant. They're huge. We're like grasshoppers. We think we're grasshoppers to them, and they think we're grasshoppers to them. Or maybe we could say crickets. <laughs> Would be more accurate. So, there's a problem. There's a problem with what's going on here. Twelve men were sent out on this expedition party, and most of them, ten of them, came back and were afraid of what lied ahead of them. But at the same time, they saw the amazing fruitfulness and beauty of the land. They understood why God would want them to be there. They just didn't think it was possible. And we aren't going to read it all, but from here, things escalate in chapter 14. You can turn there with me. God is upset. Perhaps you could say he is offended that ten of the spies gave a bad report of the beautiful land that he tried to get the people to go into. So God said, this is a good place. It's beautiful. I want it for you. And they come back and say, no, we don't want it. It's disgusting. It's going to kill us. We're going to die there. We don't want anything to do with it. I'm sure that made God a little upset. God says, okay, you don't want to go into the promised land. Fine, I'm not going to make you go into the promised land. 
But the generation that has rebelled against me is never going to see the promised land. So they wander in the desert for 40 years until the next generation of adults is ready to enter into the promised land. So that's exactly what happens. And no one takes, uh, no one from this current generation that rebelled against God makes it into the promised land in the long run except two adults, two men. Look at verse 22 of chapter 14. Certainly all the people who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet they have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice. Shall by no means see the land which I swore to the fathers, nor shall any of those who, were, uh, who disrespected me shall see it. But as for my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. So God, a little later on, makes the same promise that he made to Caleb to a man named Joshua. And these are the only two adults who, in it, who so think about this, out of potentially millions of people, at least hundred, tens of thousands of people who left Egypt as adults, only two of them are actually going to make it into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, they were all supposed to make it to the promised land. So the focus of our conversation today is on this man named Caleb. We don't know a lot about Caleb, but we do know one thing for sure, is that Caleb gets this honorific title ascribed to him, to his name, the one who follows God fully. Now, I think we can think of some other people in Scripture who followed God very well. Obviously, Jesus... We would feel comfortable saying he followed God fully, right? Maybe some other of the apostles, some of these great people, we could say they really followed God. But Caleb is the only person in the entire Bible who gets called the one who follows God fully. The only one. Caleb is also the first man who spoke up to advocate for God's plan and encourage the people of Israel to trust in God even when he was in a clear minority. So what we call, uh, what we also find is that when Caleb's name is mentioned, he's called the one who follows God fully, and the promises of God are also mentioned along with his name. And over the course of Numbers and uh, Joshua, the book of Joshua, as we'll see, Caleb is called the one who follows God fully six different times. Once, by, a couple times by Moses, and by God himself, which is pretty incredible. It's pretty amazing. So, we're going to hop into our biblical time machine. And we're going to jump forward 45 years into the future in Caleb's life. And we're going to see where God led him, what happened to, John, uh, to Caleb. Look at Joshua chapter 14 with me. In Joshua chapter 14, we find uh, a lot has happened with the nation of Israel between when they were... Uh, banished to the wilderness for 40 years, and then where we find them today. During this time, they had wandered for 40 years. Joshua had become the leader of the nation of Israel after Moses. They miraculously won a lot of different battles in the wilderness. And importantly, at this point, they've started to take control of the promised land. So God said, now is the time, 40 years later, we're moving into the promised land And that's where we find Caleb in verse 6. 
Then the sons of Judah approached Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, on account of you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on this day, saying, The land on which your foot has walked shall certainly be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. And now behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke these forty-five years, from the time then that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am eighty-five years old today. I am still as strong today as I was on the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now, for war and for going out and for coming in. Now then, give me this hill country, about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there, with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out, just as the Lord has spoken. Think about this for a second. It has been 45 years since God made that promise to Caleb. 45 years. I can hardly wait 45 minutes for a chicken pot pie to get done baking in the oven, okay? 45 years! That's a long time. But as the kids say, Caleb was built different. And as we read Numbers 14, it said that Caleb had a different spirit about him. Different than the other men who went out to spy the land. What was different about Caleb? He trusted God. Chuck, did you like read over my shoulder? Because that's literally word for word right there. What I wrote. You're tricky. Caleb understood that when God called him to spy out the land, God wasn't asking for him to go and assess whether or not it could actually happen. Right? God had that part covered. Caleb knew that God had that part covered. God was asking him to see the goodness and to report back to the people that God is faithful, that he is leading us to a good place, that he has provided for us. And the rest of the spies saw the towering people in the fortified cities, and they said, no way. Caleb saw the promises that God had made and knew that if God was on their side, then it didn't matter how big the people were. It didn't matter how thick the walls were. For goodness sake, Caleb and all the other spies walked through the Red Sea on dry ground exiting Egypt. They saw the manna come down out of heaven. They saw God perform miracles that provided for them time and time again. So Caleb knew that when God said it was good, that this is yours, it was good and it was theirs. So that day, When the Israelites rebelled against God and didn't choose to follow him, Caleb didn't flinch. He did not doubt for a second. He did not join in with his brothers. He knew what God had promised him. And Caleb spent the next 45 years 
patiently waiting, wandering through the wilderness with everybody else, enduring their punishment, knowing that someday his feet were going to walk over the promised land again. But this time he's not going to be spying it out. This time he's going to be owning it. It's going to be his. It's going to be his for generations and generations forever. And God honored Caleb with the strength he needed to do just that. At 85 years old, Caleb still felt strong enough to fight. And he obviously still followed God and trusted in him just as much as he did when he was 40 years old. Because even in his old age, he looked at those cities. He didn't see the big walls. He didn't see the armies. He didn't see the giants. He saw God's promises. He saw his city, his giant walls, his farms. And this is the attitude that Caleb lived by. This is the attitude that led to him being the one who followed God fully. Because you can't follow God fully unless you, Chuck? Trust God. Unless you trust God. Unless you trust in Him. Unless you truly believe the promises that He makes. Unless you are truly sold out for Him. So in Caleb's case, living a full life meant wandering in a desert for 40 years, waiting for God to do what He said He was going to do. He gave it everything and every step and every act of obedience when God was leading them by fire and smoke and he would pick up a camp and he'd move it over here and then a couple days later he'd move it right back. Caleb didn't complain. He followed him fully. I think today it boils down into two points I, that will help us reflect and live full lives of God and die having given everything we have to following him. Number one, something that really stood out to me is that you can choose trust or you can choose fear. Trust leads to following God fully. Trust, or if you want to call it, you can call it faith. This is the first step. This is what starts the process of following God. Which, by the way, if you didn't know, is your objective. It's your goal in life. right? To fully follow God is what you should be doing. If you like video games... That's your task bar, right? You check mark every day. Did I fully follow God? And you keep doing that until you die. Every day. Okay? I know we have candy crushers in here. Right? I know we have Mahjong players. I know we have Stardew Valley players. I know there's people out here who play video games. Okay? That's your objective. You can't follow God unless you trust him. The other option is to choose fear. Or maybe it's better to say you choose doubt. Instead of trust. And doubt leads to fear. Because it's unknown. And fear leads to melting hearts. And wandering in the wilderness. Right? It is not good. Fear comes from not relying on God. And instead making your own path. Making your own path. Scares me. That's a scary thought. And if you can't trust God. Where he's leading you. Then you're most likely not going to be able to handle it. When he gets you there. Right? So if we're living our lives to the full, as we've been studying the last few weeks, where God is going to walk us, which I think we've learned, is going to be uncomfortable sometimes. And maybe even impossible to succeed in without God's help. Number two, we need to live a promise-priority life. Call it promise-priority living. I like that. Another thing we learned from Caleb is that 
A fully devoted life to God is a life filled with God's promises. Right? Time and time again. In fact, every single time that Caleb was said to have followed God fully, it was immediately followed up or preceded by the promises that God had made to Caleb. Caleb said, 40 years ago at Kadesh Barnea, God said to me, I am going to walk back on that land. And he knew it was true. He lived and died by the promises that God made him. God was faithful to Caleb. And he's going to be faithful to us too. That's just who he is. So in a different kind of way than the example we've looked at so far, Caleb also lived his life to the full, but it looked a little different. Jesus asked us to take up our cross and follow him, willing to walk to death. Paul told us to pour ourselves out like a drink offering. And Caleb shows us that living a full life and dying empty is everyday faithful reliance on God's promises. The simple, consistent reliance on God's promises. The ideas we're talking about in this series are extremely simple, actually. They're not hard to understand. They're not complicated. But they're extremely difficult. I'm not going to lie. Very, very, very difficult to actually execute. So we have to be patient and steadfast followers of God, just like Caleb was. And if you're going to do that or not, it's up up to you to decide. Let's pray. God, I thank you for leading us in an exploration of Caleb's life today. I pray that you inspire us to live like him, to live fully devoted to you. God, I just pray that you give us the endurance and patience we need to wait for your promises. It's in the authority of your son that we pray. Amen.